Thank you for joining us today as we discuss glory. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Today I'm talking with Alexander Newman. He is a preacher in the Northport area, which is just outside of Tuscaloosa in Alabama, and he preaches there. Uh, he's been there for several years, doing a great job out there working with the college age kids and just really with the whole congregation and the work that he's doing sharing God's word. He also has a podcast you need to check out called The Pilgrim Song, especially if you are a teen or you know some teens. And they talk about teen culture and social issues seen through a biblical lens and he definitely helps these young people to be able to see life in a different way than the world is really presenting it to them. So let's go ahead and dig in with Alexander Newman into the word glory. All right, so we are digging into the word glory, and uh, it is a large and broad topic. The word is used in a lot of different, what I would say, key passages through Scripture, yeah, I, I was looking through just a simple concordant search on the word glory and I mean, just so many of the memory verses I have taught my children have <laughs> this word included. And I don't know that we really understand what the word means. So I, I'm excited to dig into this with you today. Let's start with that. What does the word glory mean? Give a definition yeah. for us. Uh, so the word just itself, uh, the most broad definition I guess you could give it is just weight. Uh, what, and particularly Hebrew definition, kavod, weight. Uh, it can also come in with the idea of burden or splendor. Uh, so any of those words kind of fit into what kavod means, which is the most common use of the word glory. So let's clarify here. We're not talking weight, W-A-I-T. We're talking yeah. weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, exactly. The heaviness. Okay. Okay. Heavy, weight, burden, that concept. Okay. Mm -hmm. This idea of weight. So I'm just recalling verses that I would have taught my children. Let's try to fit this passage or this word into the different passages. First uh, mm -hmm. Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Mm. How would the concept of weight and burden fit into that verse? Yeah, I, th I think that's a great question. They, the idea of everything that I do has to be motivated because I understand that what I do is supposed to be bringing God, you know, lifting him up in the eyes of the world and the eyes of my brethren. So when I degrade that, when I make him less weighty, 
uh, in whatever I eat or however I act or however I talk, uh, that that causes a lot of problems. And ultimately, it's going to have a problem with us because we are making God way less in our in our minds and in our actions. That, that, that's a that's such an interesting concept. Um, let me let me give you another one. Uh, Matthew five sixteen, another memory verse I've taught my children. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Mm. Uh, so on the, that one, I would think it kind of goes a little bit less weight and more of just the splendor. Just how incredible God is that he takes you, this broken, fallible human being, and now you are motivated to live a life full of love and grace and compassion, live completely contrary to how the rest of the world looks. And that makes God more splendor, uh, more full of splendor, the way that you act uh, in that situation. Okay. And I would imagine Hebrews 1, 3 would go with that too. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the radiance and splendor, those two ideas mm-hmm. going together. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How does it work there? Oh, man. I I think that goes more back towards the weight. But, you know, for all of us to turn away from how incredible God is and what he has made, the things that he created on this planet, and the way that he has, uh, you know, made us in his image. And we have all turned away from that, have subjugated that image in our sin. We decided that something else is more weighty than what God has told us to do. Uh, so for us to fall short of that glory is for us to subjugate his weight uh, when it can't be done. So, Okay. So all of this discussion, just the, the idea of the weight of God, the, the immensity of God, the, uh, just, just how incredible he is. It makes me think of Hebrews chapter 12. You know, here, Hebrews chapter 12, we've got this, this long explanation here where the uh, people are trying to re- reject God's grace and what he's done. And the Hebrew writer is making a comparison. And he says, I want to read verse 25 down through the end of the chapter. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yes, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So you take that idea of our God being a consuming fire and you relate it to the weight of God. Essentially, what the Hebrew writer here is saying our God is full of glory. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And that anything that is less than glorious is just, it's, it will be destroyed by him. It will be consumed by him. So, yeah. Okay, so understanding that, how should that change the way that we actually live? Oh, man. 
uh, just you when I was like kind of throwing this word out here of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do glory. And then going through and doing the research on it, it's like, this has kind of fundamentally changed how I view everything of understanding that every action, when I say, oh, I'm supposed to do this for God's glory, am I actually motivated to do that? Because it's easy, I think, for a preacher to be like, oh, yeah, I'm working for God's glory. But then it's, it can also be lazy. Like, you know, that's something I've, I've learned to be battling with constantly. Laziness and also pride. This idea of, am I doing things for God's glory? Or do I like it because other people are patting me on the back? But then if we take that into just our normal day job uh, or whatever you may do, and understanding that when I'm doing things for the glory of God, does that mean I'm doing it without complaining? Am I serving people without complaining? Am I doing the work that I'm called to without complaining? Or am I doing it, uh, you know, the same way that everyone else is doing it? Because is that truly to God's glory? Is th does that truly measure up to the weight that God has placed upon me? Um, <clears throat> so I think it, it's very critical for understanding that when we, I think glory falls in that category of like, it's a word that's used a lot and... We don't necessarily know how to define it or we just we kind of skip over it. I mean, there's a couple of pop songs that have come out in the last couple of years that use glorious or glory. But for us, it's an understanding of who God is, how great he is. And that's supposed to be reflected in every action I take in my life. Service to my family, service to my community, service to the church, uh, service in my in my job, whatever it is. So we have to be measuring up to that weight to what God has called us to in each and every task that we perform. Okay. So that uh, essentially God should consume us like that. He should be mm. the most important thing. Now, I know that's such a simple concept. Like we, we say that all the time in Bible classes or from uh, the, the pulpit. We, we teach this idea often, mm -hmm. but I don't know that we actually live the idea so well. How can I balance giving God the glory he is due, the weight he is due, when I have a hundred other things that are going to pull me away from that? Yeah, yeah, that was a great question. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about is when we come to service on Sundays in the assembly, and it's, you know, it's encouraging cause to see everybody there, but then, you know, Bible studies are stuff throughout the week that people really don't go to. And I think that the big idea that needs to come in a culture, particularly American culture, that is so filled with distractions, a lot of things that you mentioned are necessary. You need to be focused on your family, absolutely. But there are plenty of things also that we need to be cutting out. I, I need to cut off like more Netflix or YouTube time or whatever, because then that can give me more time to be focusing on not necessarily like studying the Bible, but actually going and visiting orphans and widows, which is one of our calls to, and, and responsibilities. So I think that when we see things that have become just general distractions, seeing how can I use this time specifically to help? That if I need, if I have a free period, how can I go and visit or help? Maybe that is just reading your Bible because you don't know it well enough. Um, but I also think that in these times of distractions, I like for me, I really like board games. I think that if it was, if it came down to it, I think something that could glorify God is inviting over people to come and enjoy them with me because I want to share with them the love I have for them and, you know, just 
kind of form better community. So I think when our motivations for how we uh, act and how we, you know, enjoy the things that God has given to us, I think that gives him the glory as well. That shows that my motivations behind what I'm doing is because of what God has blessed me with. And, and that's that's what drives it. So one of the interesting ways that Kavad is used in the Old Testament is specifically when God gives uh, one example I have was when God gives uh, Solomon like his glory. And it's kind of in the form of riches. And, you know, we see that Solomon doesn't always use that well. So when God gives this, you know, this weight to Solomon, he has the opportunity to use it in great ways, but he also has the opportunity to use it in awful ways. So we have to see that with the way that God has blessed us with our time or with our money and our resources, and particularly in America where we are just so blessed. How am I using the things that God has given me to show him back the glory that he deserves, show him the weight that he deserves? So absolutely. Okay. So let me switch gears on you real quick. Um, have you done much studying on the Shekinah? I have not. Okay, so uh, that is one of those uh, Jewish words that they use to describe the glory of God, the Shekinah mm -hmm. glory of God. Um, and so the idea of when God's glory would lead the children of Israel, that it was his glory that went before them. And so you've got that, that they called it the Shekinah. It was the glory of God that went out. That's what Moses saw when he was hid in the cleft of a rock, uh, the Shekinah glory. And so it's interesting. How does our understanding of glory here relate to the idea of Moses witnessing God's glory in physical form? Hmm. So... We might cut this entire section out of the podcast, <laughs> no, which is perfectly no fine. Uh, I'm just <laughs> interested to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, so when we, I guess when it comes to weight in general, if, if Shekinah kind of lines up with the idea, uh, man, Moses, Moses seeing that is such an interesting picture to me. What exactly does Moses see when it says God's back? Um, <clears throat> But whatever it is that Moses saw, it was so incredible that it related back to his face mm -hmm. reflecting God's glory. And I think that just kind of goes back to what we've been talking about with a lot of these other sections is however God's glory is revealed, if it is, you know, it should be reflected. And when Moses sees it face to face, or not face to face, but, you know, yeah. even a piece of it, it is incredible. Let's, let's take the two ideas that you've brought out from the Hebrew word. You've got weight and you've got splendor. How does the very different ideas in English of weight and splendor coincide when you're looking at it from a biblical perspective? Uh, so I, I think that they really come together maybe on the basis or the idea of riches. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, if you back in the, in the in the times of the Israelites when you were weighing something you know it that was that was how you decided with the value of that thing so however much it weighed you know that's that's how much you had to pay for it so i think that if you're going to have something that's more expensive you know with more with more splendor it's going to be of more weight uh so when we understand god being you know 
how glorious he is when he gives riches or how rich he is it he is weighty and he is more weighty than anything that he is of so much incredible value that is beyond you know something that could be weighed on this earth and in a lot of ways he has bestowed that value upon humanity so we have in some ways a a lot of weight so i think that the combination or the the real cross point between weight and splendor is based upon the riches of who god is the richness of who god is and what he bestows upon his creation i i do want to mention here it is interesting to me the parallel that is made about glory this is exodus chapter 33 moses wants to have an experience with god and there in verse 18 he says please let me see your glory and I love that that's the word he uses because God in the very next verse says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So God in answering Moses' request to see glory equates that to goodness. What makes God so weighty is how good he is. He's gracious, he's compassionate. Uh, those are mentioned specifically here in this passage. That is his goodness. And, and I think it is important for us to recognize what makes God so weighty for us. What makes God such an incredible God is that he is supremely good. I, I love that, that passage that you point out, thinking about God's goodness when it relates to his glory. And I, I feel like in our culture, a lot of people think that we're becoming less moral but i think the reality is people are just kind of changing the things that they're they feel very uh, strongly about when it comes to morality so everyone is kind of striving after what is this idea of goodness where do we get goodness from and to look at a passage like this and we see here is the ultimate the supreme good so people keep searching for it in all these other places and it's like here it is you want supreme ultimate perfect goodness it's the Lord. And unfortunately, a lot of times when people look into the face of supreme goodness, they decide that's not the goodness I really desire. And that kind of shows that their personal goodness, how they feel about themselves or about their world or their own worldview, it doesn't really come even close to the surpassing goodness of who God is. And that's why it's so important for us to not put our trust in people. Uh, or as the psalmist says, do not put your trust in princes because you want to know supreme goodness. It's in the Lord. I, I just feel like we get so distracted by the physical. We're just so... Paul's call to live by faith and not by sight almost seems ridiculous. And you know, so often the way that temptation works is through our eyes. Whatever looks great to us is what we end up focusing on. So the fact that God isn't in our face all the time it oftentimes leads us to, well, I see this other thing as glorious and this other thing seems fine and this other thing makes me feel good instead of seeing the immeasurable creation or even that thing that we're focused on has been something, is something that is created by the Lord so that you will turn and glorify him for it. Um, so it's, it's just so interesting that our eyes oftentimes tempt us away from the one who created the thing for us to even look at. The motivation totally changes where 
you know, from this baseline of I'm going to work hard to get my money, that's selfish driven. Mm -hmm. But if when I work hard because I want to bring God the glory, that means I'm also going to use the money that I earned from this to provide for my family and to give to the poor and to give back to the church so that they can continue to help spread the gospel, all that type of stuff. So working hard, you know, just from those two different things show that you can work hard in both situations, but giving God the glory looks way different than the other one that is very self-driven. It's so hard. I don't know if it's just a cultural thing or, or what, or just a human thing where it's like, I want this for myself. And, you know, I've, I've really tried to encourage people that if your motivation for, uh, you know, converting or something like that, if the baseline is, I don't want to go to hell, I think that's okay for like the beginning. But as you mature, there's supposed to be this understanding that who I'm pursuing in my life, who I'm supposed to be honoring with my life, it's far greater than just the fear I have of going to this really bad place. It is, God is worth everything. There it is, folks. God is worth everything. And that's how we need to be viewing him. He deserves the glory, the weight in our lives. And I hope that he has that with you. I hope this podcast has been challenging for you and maybe even stretching for you a little bit. We want to challenge people to have a better understanding, not only of what the Bible says, but how it makes a difference in their life. And I hope this conversation with Alexander has done that for you. If it has, let us know. Let us know what topics you would like to hear more about. And we will be talking a little bit more about glory in just a couple of days. So make sure that you tune back in and get ready to hear another podcast on one of these preach impediment words as we try to simplify things and make things more applicable for our lives today. Until next time.